0: Okay, so I'll just start. Um, first of all, I will introduce myself for people on the podcast. So I've been going to this church since it started, and uh, at one point I married the, the pastor of Calvary's daughter, Clark Witten, who's the founder of Grace Church, uh, and then became sort of that was a that was a, a quite a interesting culture shock from where I had lived before to where I came uh, as a Christian, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Actually, uh, so what I'm going to talk about is. Uh, what I learned about not looking down. I'm gonna explain what not looking down means to me. Um, and I, when I originally started contemplating this and thinking about it, I didn't want to lean too heavy into testimonial stuff, but it sort of started turning into that because the thing is, um, most of my life uh, kind of been on the edge of a razor. I mean, for 30 years, I'm 50, turned 50 in the last two weeks. And for the last 30 years, probably, I mean, honestly, Probably for 27 of those years, there's maybe a handful of months where I could have told you how we were going to pay the mortgage. And people that know us know, always on the edge, always living off miracles, every single month. There's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So I've been thinking a lot this last, you know, about my life. I'm 50, you know. It's been a really good turnaround year for us, one of the best year ever I've had so far. And it's been the first year where, I, mean, I remember the other day I was in a restaurant, I was sitting there and thinking wow, this is the first time I haven't felt like that. A little bit of that cloud, that, ooh, how am I going to get through the next few days? Ever. And I was like, wow, this feels so good, you know? So then I look back, and I'm like, well, do I regret the decisions that I made? And I'm like, I can't. I can't regret the decisions that I made because they took me to my wife, my kids. That's so why I'm here. And I thought, well, what, what's something I really don't regret? What's something, I, what's something I did right, you know what I mean, that I really feel good about? I think what I did right, So the one thing, if I were gonna give my advice, my kids, any advice, if I could only pick one piece of advice, I would tell them, don't look down, just the rest of your life, don't go there, stay up here with him, don't look down. And I'm gonna explain a little bit about what I mean by that and to do that, I have to unravel how I got to the place where I'm always walking on the edge, where I'm always depending on miracles. Because I think, you know, one thing I've learned, we all, we all kind of know, there's a formula out there and if you follow that formula, and I respect that formula. If you follow that formula, you go to college, you, you you've dot the I's, you cross the T's, you'll be safe. You know, you'll have tr- challenges, we all have challenges, we all have problems, but at least you'll have some financial security. There, there's a level of safety and security that you'll have. Whereas if you don't do that, it's, it can be different. If you're not careful, you know things can happen, you can end up in total poverty, you can end up who knows where, right? So um, I I respect that formula, but I jumped off of that formula. I jumped off of that formula without the security of a degree, without the security of all those things. So why did I jump off that formula? That's what I want to share, because that's what brought me to Christ, essentially. So I was thinking about this. In 1998, I graduated from film school. So I did get a degree, actually, finally. And uh, it was the first time I'd been a believer for about maybe two years. And it was the first time that I ever sort of publicly announced my faith. And I remember I get up there, and, and I remember it, for me that was a big deal. Like it was, it took a lot of boldness for me to do that. And I remember saying, I just wanted to say one thing. I just wanted to say, I want to thank Jesus, who's my Lord and Savior, for pulling me out of the mud and putting me on a rock. And everyone got kind of quiet. A lot of people knew me, didn't know I was even a Christian. And it was like, for them, it was like, whoa, that's, wow, is he a weirdo? You know, like, whoa, you know, I took that risk, right? Um, but I wanted to do it. And I thought about, why did I want to do it? You know, why did I want to do it? So I say that to come back to where I am here. I remember last week, Nancy Wagner said to me, hey, you're speaking next week. Are you excited? I remember thinking, well, I'm a lot of things. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd use the word excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, so so I, I'm like, I like to, the reason I like to do this is because it forces me to dig into the Lord, listen to him, follow him. If I don't have a mission, if I'm not speaking or doing something like that, um, which this is new to me, but it, 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 I like it a lot because it, it Makes me go on that road. It kind of forces me to do it, and and I have experiences that I remember forever when I do it. Right. So going back to what Nancy said, are you excited? It wasn't the word I would use, but now I would use that word, and and it's because of something that happened a couple of days ago. It dawned on me, and it's why I said that at that speech. And it's Psalm 50, and I put it up on the top here. Call upon me in the day of trouble; I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. So <clears throat> it's a good, it's a really good opportunity for me to honor him. That's why I'm excited to do this, and I'm super happy to have this opportunity, and it's apropos timing. I feel like it totally is. So uh, to do that, I have to start at the beginning on how, how did I get on this? How did I get in the mud? How did I get in this place where only a miracle could, could get me out, right? And to talk about that, I have to go back to the earliest days of when I first understood God. I'm going to sit for a minute here, I'm going to try. I'm going to take a, a cue from Alan. Try, to, try the stool technique. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Alan. Um, Okay, so how did I get to this place where I'm depending on miracles? Um, It all goes back to really when I was uh, a kid. So when I was a kid, my parents were uh, divorced. Um, They divorced when I was like six. And um, my father was in D.C. We we grew up in Washington, D.C. My mom ended up uh, marrying this big developer guy and moving to Michigan. And I went with her to Michigan. And it was tough. I love my father. He's very... Charismatic, such a fun guy to be around, so fun, you know. Um, I really love my father, it was hard to be away. At one point, um, I always wanted to, there was a custody battle, I wanted to live with him. Wouldn't have been healthy, he was an alcoholic. You know, I have a great mother, it's nothing against my mother, but my stepfather was just, he was, an, he, was a, he was an honorable man, he was ethical, he wasn't abusive, but he was extremely uptight, and you're just always living on eggshells. We had all the luxuries in the world. We had a private jet. We had two places in the Bahamas, a place in Florida, a place in New York. I would have, you know, we had a full-time chef. We had two full-time cooks. We had all the splendor of the world, right? And it was great for a while. I have some great memories, you know. But it was, it was just, it was really miserable, you know, in the end. It, it wasn't worth it. Nothing was worth it. I just wanted to hang out with my dad and walk the streets of Georgetown. He'd huck me over his shoulder and pretend like I was a potato sack, you know, just fun memories. So I'm in in seventh grade, and I've known the last year that there's been trouble with my father. He, he always, Lord, always put him before powerful people. He worked for Nixon. He then had his own. uh, He was a business lawyer, and he uh, ended up uh, getting in that Hollywood world. He had clients like Telly Savalas and George Gabor and um, uh, Richard um, Pryor. Stuff like that. So he started getting up into these high levels with these people. But that was sort of the beginning of the end for him, in a way. It was like a struggle. And he started getting into Coke, and it was not just the drinking. And it was, it, it, there were ways where the Lord tried to pull him back. He ended up marrying one of the, my, my favorite people in the world, uh, Mary Costa. She was actually the original Sleeping Beauty. So he, he actually, it's still, she's, a, she's still someone that I stay in touch with. She's a great person, um, and that was a blessing. And I've never seen him so happy. So there was this conflict going on in his life, and I had hope and optimism. But here's where the first thing happened, where I really believed. Ultimately, it started planting a seed for me that there's a God and He cares and He watches after me. And it wasn't. A, it, it, I remember this person walking in the room, and, and there was a hall pass, and it was, they were calling me. And I remember thinking, "Wow, this is weird. This is." Uh, I just knew he was dead. I knew he died, and. It was weird because there's no reason I would have known that. There's no reason I knew that, but the Lord told me, just be prepared, your father's gone. So I remember walking down that hallway and uh, it was like walking through molasses, slow, 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 it took forever to get to the car. Then my parents broke it to me and I just remember for three days, just blur, just tears, three days just crying. That was the beginning. I haven't talked about this in probably 30 years. It's interesting. Excuse the emotions. But uh, <laughs> that was the beginning of leaving the nest. That was the beginning of me taking a road that, that was off the beaten path. And so, but it didn't propagate right away. It took, it took a few years. It took a few years. Because I loved my life, I liked my friends. I played high school on the football team. Some of my best memories were that. But I couldn't, it was so miserable being around my stepfather. And um, it was tough for my mom. So I decided, you know what? Out of nowhere, I'm gonna to go to this school, and I'm gonna leave and go to a boarding school. So, in 11th and 12th grade, I went to this school in Sedona, Arizona called Verde Valley, way down out, surrounded by National Forest, a bunch of like stucco little classrooms. You could wear flip flops and no shirt if you wanted to to class, and people did. <laughs> people did, yeah, yeah. And I, I sailed that. It's actually a really good school for education. I mean, it was, it, it, it lifted my grades, it did all this stuff, but one of the things it did was it sp- sent me out in nature, and I spent tons of time out in nature. And those were also some early seeds of me starting to understand God through nature. He reveals himself through his creation. And I took my kids there this last summer to show them the school, and we hiked in those rocks. And and I remember there were so many climbs that we did that were so risky. I mean, with no ropes, free climbing. You know, we're kids. You think you're never going to die. But the thing is, we had one rule, and that was like this rule. And it was like the one thing we had reverence for, and it was don't look down when you're climbing up the rocks, don't look down, whatever you do, don't look down or you could die. And there was always this reverence for that, but what I didn't realize was that that was gonna be a spiritual metaphor for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so, so I left Verity Valley School and didn't go to college. I ended up staying, living and working at a wolf sanctuary out in the middle of nowhere in southern Colorado. We were 20 miles from the nearest house, all solar power, no plumbing in the winter, uh, gravity-fed water in the, in the, in the, in the summer and the spring, gravity-fed water. We lived really out there. I mean, teepees, uh, cabins. It was a lot of hard work, but it was like we weren't, you know, it was, just, it was a lot of hard work, but it was really out in nature all the time. And about five years I did that. So during that time, uh, I needed to pick up some money as a volunteer, so I'd go up to Boulder, which is about four hours north, and I would work for this environmental group raising money, right, door-to-door. Um, door- door. It's the kind of thing my wife would love to do. <laughs> <laughs> Shows our differences. Anyway, did all this. Developed a friendship with a guy named I'm gonna call him Chris. I'm not gonna use his real name. I'm gonna call him Chris, it's not his real name. Developed a relationship with a guy named Chris who had a house up in Boulder up halfway up the canyon. Really beautiful house. I uh, yeah, really got along well with he and his wife and his daughter. It was just, they were fun to be around. I really liked, we had a good friendship. Well, he was always a big marijuana dealer Most of, in the 80s. He just dealt pot, cocaine, that, mostly marijuana. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, I didn't care at that time. I, I, I didn't have an ethical problem with what he did. And, and he was mostly done working. He, he did well, and he had money. And um, so what I'm going to tell you is how I got stuck in the mud. Um, so it starts with one day I'm in this coffee shop. And when I'm in Boulder, I'm always certain point in the day, I'm always in this coffee shop. And it's a guy named Miguel from Montezales, Colombia, and he had this coffee shop, and I used to love going there at the same time every day. And so one one time this woman walks in, and she walks in. She's got a guy with her. She walks in just to talk to me, just to sit down and talk to me. It was was so peculiar. She didn't order coffee. She just wanted to talk to me. She just started saying, hey, I just wanted to chat. I saw you when you were walking down street I just thought I wanted to come in and say hello I was just curious about you you know I, somehow she, and she's a gorgeous woman right but I wasn't attracted to her I mean for those of you know I mean she was very darker hair very cosmopolitan LA model looking um, for those of you who know me my type I prefer a blonde just short of five feet blonde, blue eyes yeah yeah I mean that's more my type so yeah but but seriously look I've been yeah so I've been <laughs> So so I've been for the better part of uh, four years off with a bunch of dudes like out in the middle of nowhere. I'm thinking, I'm not going to not take advantage of an opportunity to at least be around a woman. You know, it's a woman (laughs) like this, right? So so I just hung out with her and never was affectionate with her. Never was, it wasn't that. Um, Would just start to hang out with her a little bit here and there, just doing stuff. Like, you know, one time I went and visited where she was staying with the other guys living with her. And um, they were just, she was there working for a while. She was a model, actually, and she was doing photo shoots and whatever, so she said. At the same time, I go back up. When I'm going back up to see Chris, I'm seeing that he is, uh, he's, there's a lot of activity going on. I'm like, what are you doing, man? What are you up to? He's on the phone all the time with this woman. And I didn't even know what he was up to, but immediately something happened where I was like, something's wrong. There's something weird going on here. And it was like knowledge that wasn't from me. It was like a, 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 a discernment that wasn't from me. What are you talking to her about? Oh, I'm, I, I, so he sits down with me later in the evening. He says, listen, I have this opportunity. This woman is an old friend of mine. And I had this old friend that got busted you know, back in 1980, whatever, 84, for a bunch of cocaine in this shopping mall. They, it was this huge thing. And they chased him down, and they caught him. And he's up for probation, and she wants she, we need money for the lawyer. And she has an opportunity for me to move a bunch of marijuana. And it'll be great, because it'll be like, I can save my buddy. And that's really why I want to do it. But plus, I can make some money. And I would right away just told him, normally I'd be like, hey, good for you, man, cool. You know? But I was like, no, man, I, 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 I just feel like there's, there's something wrong. There's, and he's like, he's like, no, no, he's like, come on, this is so rock solid, I know these people really well, there's something wrong, and he says, and by the way, if you want, I'd give you five grand if you want to drive, I have everything in an RV, like you can drive it up from Albuquerque, five grand, and normally, I been, and I've never done anything like that, but I would have been like, sure, five grand, why not, you know? No way, there a voice in me it was like, stay away, stay away, don't do it, don't do it. And I started just seeing things differently. And I started noticing that people were watching him and I knew it wasn't me being paranoid. Like I would see there's a house way across the way as there was always telephone repairmen over there. And I started pointing it out to him and he's like, he's like, wait a second. And he's like, you're paranoid, you're being paranoid, you're being paranoid. So he says, come with me to this meeting and I'll show you, I'm gonna let you meet these people. Come with me, we're gonna go have a beer. I said, okay, I'll, I'll go with you, we'll have a beer. So I go there and I, for some reason, and I'm, I can be a forgetful person, but I never forget my wallet. For some reason I forgot my wallet and didn't have my driver's license so they wouldn't let me in the bar. I found out later that that was a wiretapped meeting and I wasn't there. So then, I, then all of a sudden these guys start coming to the house, these Mexican guys with the big belt buckles, and. The jewelry, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is like, you know, the movies. You know? (laughs) Then he tells me that he's getting this stuff from a guy called the monster down in Mexico. Oh my god. So I'm thinking, okay, this is trouble. These are dark, dark stuff. Dark people, he's dealing in fire and trouble. And there were so many details I don't have time to share right now, but there were so many things, pieces of wisdom, miracles. And then 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 I started realizing this girl, her name was Rana. She's a cop. She's an undercover cop. That's why she's coming to me. She's trying to figure out if I'm involved, what I'm doing. And the Lord told me that. And I, I still, I, I kind of knew it was the Lord, but I didn't know how to define him, and I was still giving credit to the universe and all this stuff. So ridiculous. Anyway. So, so anyway. So, so, but I was, but here's the point, though, about that. I was starting to follow him. I was listening, and he was talking to me. And I didn't acknowledge him yet, but he was still there. I was following him. And I was starting to trust him, and it was the earliest steps of me not looking down. Like there were certain moments where I was like, "I'm following it. I'm not listening to. I'm not following. I'm not going to get that deal for five thousand dollars. I'm not. I'm not looking down. I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow this voice." So, and then I felt like, "Lord, was like, she wanted to go to the Mission Wolf, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to let her come. I'm not, I'm not going to let her know I know she's a cop. I'm going to have her come and see what we're not doing. I'm going to come and let her see who I am not." So. I brought her with me, and we went down there, and I think it blew her away. I think she's like, wow, this is so cool what these people are doing, and they have nothing to do with any of this. And I think to this day, she vouched for me. I think she's the reason I didn't get in huge trouble, and it was that wisdom he gave me. It was like I was walking across a minefield, blindfolded, but I never stepped on a mine because I was listening to him. And if I chose not to listen to him, I would have blown up. I would have stepped on a mine. So I went back up, and he's still doing this deal, right? He says to me, look, this is a final thing. I'm going to go meet these people. One last time, would you come with me? I said, no, I won't come with you. But I'll go and be in the shopping center and just be there so you know I'm somewhere around. So I go to be with the shopping center. I go into the laundromat. I'm waiting. And a guy walks in and gets on the phone, puts a quarter. And he's got a pager. And I'm thinking he's a cop. This is over. Chris is going to get busted. And then he walks out. And these two guys come, come in. They're in the laundry room. And they're like, did you see that guy get busted out in the front? All the cops came, and I hadn't seen it, but I hear it in the laundromat. And they're like, that's so weird. They're like, they're like, yeah, did you notice there was a couple of guys that were in the laundromat in here with no laundry? And then the other guy was like, whoa, that's weird. And I'm thinking, I'm in the laundromat with no laundry. <laughs> so, so I'm like, this is going to be super weird for them, because they're the only other. And, the, and I got up and walked out, and I know they were like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so anyway. So anyway um, he gets arrested. All this happens. I, he, I, he needs to get bailed out, foolishly. I used some of my father's money from his, his death you know, He died from the insurance to bail him out of jail. He couldn't pay me back. He said, I've got this. All I can do is give you my coffee cart. And he had this coffee cart. And I was like, OK. <laughs> and I thought, and this is how I got in the coffee business. No one knows this. I've never told anyone really this except for my wife and my kids. So, but the coffee cart, I I was so afraid of these people. And I knew they were still following me. And I was like, I I, I have to get away from it. I have to get away from it. So what do you do when you're hanging off the edge of a ledge by your fingernails, and you used to give credit to the universe, all of a sudden you now give credit to Jesus when you're really desperate because he's so personal and so real and so much more intimate than the universe, right? So I, I still hadn't acknowledged him, but I got in that vehicle and I drove to Florida. And I started doing these art shows and festivals. And next thing I know... A couple years later, I start going to church. And I go from you know, the guy who lived in this, this wooden hut on the side of a hill uh, with a bunch of pot-smoking culture and all that to the, 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 this huge megachurch where people are blowing horns and waving flags and oh, wow. <laughs> thinking Good night. <laughs> And that's when that's when another miracle happened. I'm not trying to be corny here, but it's true. I look and I see this woman, this blonde woman, walk. In a second, I saw her. I knew I was going to marry that woman. I knew it. I really did. And that was another. And so, so my life started turning into like one miracle after another, right? And so, in, in the process of doing this, I uh, I wanted to. Um, I just want to make sure I'm staying on track here because um, yes. So. I started following Miracle. I started listening to that voice, and I acknowledged Jesus. And then, and then after that, I met Wendy. And uh, it started turning into not... I was still on the edge, always trying to survive, but it turned into more following that voice to do things for the kingdom and for him, because I wanted to, because I had so much gratitude, because I knew he rescued me. So I, was, I thought it was fuel from gratitude, right? And I had um, so many pearls in my pocket from things he had saved me from. So... For all the things I can't do, one thing I can do is believe in miracles. Because I've seen them too many times. I know they're real and I know they happen because I've lived off them, I've survived off them for years. So uh, um, originally I was going to give you a couple examples um, off the track. I don't want to take the time on that so I'm going to jump to, I had three that I was going to give you. I'm going to just do the third one uh, and talk a bit about that. Um, And that was uh, when I was 40, actually Matt turns 40 today. Uh, by the way. Hey, sorry Matt, sorry. Okay, so Matt, uh, so anyway, when I turned 40, <laughs> so when I turned 40, um, I remember sitting out in my porch and thinking, Lord, I've had the rug pulled out from me so many times and so many dreams and hopes squashed. Um, because he'd given me this idea. I was in the coffee business. You should, you should marry coffee business with your film, your love for film and do a coffee show, a series about coffee, it sounds ridiculous. So I thought, That's, Lord, really? Yeah, okay, but no, I don't want to go through another thing where I chase my tail. And I, please spare me that. Please spare me that. So then I just sort of let it go. Well, then that afternoon I go back to work, and a friend of mine comes in and goes, because I was going to, in my mind, I would do it in Panama because I had really close relationships with like what was going to be the most famous coffee farm in the world. And I thought, great story, you know? To this day, it's the most expensive coffee uh, in the world. And it was, on, it was featured on Billions the other day. They brought it up as a mention. It was interesting. Anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm thinking to myself um, about that. And, and so I go in to work, and a guy comes in out of nowhere and goes, Hey, Joey, i got an opportunity for you. Uh, my brother in Panama wants to know if he could hire you to fly down there and uh, train him on his coffee shop. And I was like, Thinking six hours ago, I was sitting there talking to the Lord about this out of nowhere, and now I've got a free flight and money paid to go. So I said, I'll go if you if he just gets me a ticket for a cameraman and myself. And I had a friend that had shot for Discovery and he held the gear, and sure enough, it was perfect timing. It worked out. Next thing I know, I'm in Panama shooting this thing for no money with all this great equipment. And I shot the first episode. And I edited it and I loved it. And I was super happy, and it was darn good, darn it. You know, so so and it was funny because we, I called it uh, or David Hernandez named it hunting grounds, right hunting coffee grounds. I came back. I came back uh, from from shooting it to find out that they had just signed their first coffee series, the Travel Channel with someone else. So I was like, oh, but I went anyway. So I was like, I got that's what I learned with the Lord. Is I, I keep going till I feel like he tells me not to go anymore. And, I, and I'm not stopping. I will not do it because I don't want to have to live with that. So I keep going, so I keep going, I'm pushing, no, 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 sorry, we don't want travel anymore, you're three years too late. We want ghosts and aliens, you know, we don't want history, We're we don't want to travel. Alien. Travel Channel doesn't want travel, you know, I know it's <laughs> ironic. I've, and I was getting to the top people at the Travel Channel, all of them. Yeah. And then I went to uh, LA and I pitched to the guy at History Channel, and I remember him saying to me and a bunch of others, and he said, look me in the eye and he said, Joey, this is really good, I can't do it, I tried to do this, it just doesn't fit our programming. but I want to encourage you to keep going keep going. So I said, okay, so thank you for that. So I kept going, kept going, kept going. No, 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 no. Finally, it was over. I was like, I can't keep going. I'm out of gas. So I remember we were invited to go to Vegas, Wendy and I. We're sitting there and I'm looking out at Las Vegas and it's the sunset. And for the first time, it was like the biggest crush to my heart, but I let it go. I let it go. I really did. I exhaled and I was like, Lord, have it. I felt like Lord was saying, just rest. You need to stop. Rest. So I did. Yeah, then the next day, Wendy and I go to Paris, and we're having a martini, actually, uh, at Paris, and I get a phone call, and it's this lady with a British accent named Lisa, and she says, Joey, hi, um, I saw your series and really like to talk about it. You know, Maybe we'd like to get the series going. So next thing I know, I, I got the series, and I shot it, and it was like 13 episodes, and we sh- I went all around the world. I went to Turkey, and Colombia, and Brazil, and Japan, and you name it, you know? Went everywhere, and I hosted it, and I produced it, and. I had people that looked at that series later and they thought we had, you know, 10 crew members. And I mean, it was, I have to say, and so much credit to our cameraman, it was beautifully shot. And it was a miracle that we were able to do what we were able to do. And I saw miracle after miracle after miracle on that, on that, on that series. Tons of miracles happened to me. Um, I'll just give you one small. And I have so many, it's hard not to go down that road and share these miracles. Uh, but I have one story. We went to Guatemala and we had a, the whole episode written when I landed in Guatemala there was a mudslide and I couldn't get I couldn't get on the plane to get to where the episode was shot. So I had to make up a whole new episode in one day at the drop of a hat and it just the Lord just put people before me. It was just like he made it like butter. And it was one of our best episodes. It was a miracle. It was unbelievable. And, and the details, if I can give you the details about certain things, get, two different times, cars crashed into me right before going to shoot episodes. Uh, and it, but it just happened to work out. I once dropped my cell phone in the middle of Lee Road uh, by accident because it slipped out of the window and I used the S-word and my son was in the back and started crying because I used the S-word. <laughs> and, so, and I'm thinking if I don't get that phone I won't get, I won't be able to call the lady at the travel place that's going to close in three minutes and I won't get my visa for Africa and the series, they'll kill me, they'll destroy me and I might lose the whole series. And so I'm watching the cars on the lee road drive over my phone hoping if not one hits the phone or I'm over and none of them hit the phone and I run out and I grab the phone. Anyway, I can go on and on and on. I can go on and on and on. Uh, and, and the other thing I want to mention about that, there was a moment in time where we're about to get the series and we're kind of broke, and I'm like, depending on paying the groceries and the mortgage by becoming a TV star. Like, it felt so stupid. Like, right. oh, what, what, what are you doing for money? I'm going to be a TV star. You know? That's what my plan is. That's my plan. Well, Well, I mean, it did. It paid the bills for a while, you know, for a good couple years, kind of, in a way. Um, and so, so so, that happened, but here's the thing about it. That series, I ended up getting some contracts on it. The owner of that series just would not let it go and he still won't let it go and it's this a complicated thing. And the bitter side of that, it's sort of bittersweet, but it's, I don't know that it'll ever air. I don't think it won't ever air at this point. And it's not because in a way it'd be easier for me if it wasn't good, but I know it's good and that's what's hard about it. And I still don't understand why the Lord didn't let it go. I still don't understand, but. It's weird because I'm kind of okay with it, because my treasure is different. The way I see things is different. So I want to talk about one of the how do, you, how do you go that far, just not how do you go for 27 years not really knowing how you're going to pay the mortgage every month? How do I do that? It's because of the pearls in my pocket. I don't know if you guys ever remember uh, Jack Taylor. Uh, he was like Clark's mentor, kind of, and I remember before I ever met him, Wendy always said, um, yeah, this guy Jack Taylor. Just my dad. He really close, and he's like a spiritual father to my my dad in a lot of ways. And she said, the funny thing is, when you see Jack Taylor, think Fred Flintstone, and when you see my dad, think Barney Rubble. Oh <laughs> ever since then, ever since then, I just it's Fred and Barney. I mean, it just is. But 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 what I will say that it's very interesting. Those two men, uniquely yes, <laughs> those two men uniquely. I'm sorry for those on podcasts that don't have a picture of Jack Taylor. Maybe you have to look one up. Anyway. The funny thing is, those two men have the unique ability to always say things that I always remember. That, that both Clark and Jack Taylor, they say things that I still, to this day, always remember. Yeah. Like Clark, one of the things, when I first walked into Calvary, and, 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 I, he, and I was going to marry Wendy, and the horns, and the flags, and all the crazy <laughs> stuff, and there's some of the people, I mean, you know, there was always some people that I just was trying to figure them out. Um, uh, and I remember him saying, you know what, Joey? I know you're, you know, basically, we, I'm paraphrasing. I know you're new to the Lord. You always speak about your faith and tell your story and don't ever be intimidated by all this. Don't do it. And that was one of the best advice anyone ever has given me and it sticks with me to this day. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've learned spiritually from Clark, a lot of the things that the way I think, I mean, he, he was, he was kind of like the earthly version of my father, the earthly replacement, and he couldn't have been a better one. I, can't, I could go on and on about Clark and Martha, honestly, as people. Um, but here's what I'll say about Jack Taylor. I remember him doing a, a sermon once where he talked about how people move off of the faith they have based on their bank accounts, their spiritual bank accounts. Some people have spiritual bank accounts where they can believe for health because they've been healed through a miracle. Some people have an empty bank account there and it's harder for them to believe. Some people have financial issues, some people don't. Their bank account is filled literally and in a spiritual sense, they have that security. He's talking about bank accounts and it always stuck with me. And it made me realize like there's a lot of pearls, there are a lot of pockets I have where there are very few or not very many pearls. Or none, and hopefully someday they will have pearls. But the reality is they're not there. But there are some pockets where I have so many pearls I'm busting at the seams. And I feel like it's like when you go into the Word and you talk when when, when Jesus talks about the, when, we, when we hear about this, the story about the uh, the treasure in the field. I believe that treasure in the field is us, and and Jesus is the one finding us, right? And where are the pearls in his pocket? And and then. We, we have these pearls in ours. And it's, it's the faith that, that, from an experience that we had, it's the faith from an experience that we had that's captured into that pearl. And it's his faith, but it's also ours. It's, it's unified into that pearl, you know? And so all these were like, these, these were, th- what happened was this started developing um, pearls. So I was thinking about this, um, I, say, I say don't look down. What is, what is, what would happen if I had looked down? Well, what would happen if I would look down? To me, looking down, I think it can mean something a little bit different to every person. I think there are certain absolutes where we all have a version that's the same of looking down. It's fear, it's doubt. But I think for me, it's not. there's a difference between chewing and swallowing. And I feel like so many times there were doubts that I chewed, but i but I made the decision not to swallow them. And if I had swallowed them, I would have gone off track. And so I think, to me, looking down is, is swallowing. And it's it's when you swallow, it's like you, you have this opportunity. I think I do to, be, to to be up here with him, and and it, and it's not in a not acknowledging the reality that's down there, but it's 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 there's a difference between chewing and swallowing. So you're up here with him versus messing in the ways of the world and being stuck in the soup. And I was thinking about it's interesting. I was listening to this rapper. I, I I I don't really listen to rap much. I used to in the 80s when like Grandmaster Flash. For those of you who made no rap. You know, I used to love, I knew all the words, it's like a jungle sometimes, you know, all the words, I loved it, but then I drifted from rap, really. My kids have started to make me appreciate it more, actually. Um, uh, but there was this, a rapper I started listening to a little bit, uh, more I was interested in sort of the, his expression, and I thought it was interesting because he's the only rapper that doesn't have a producer, he doesn't have, he's not tied to any brands or any companies, so he says what he wants. And he's very, he's very opposed to cancel culture and a lot of these things that are, can be, uh, intimidating, because you can get canceled, you can get, for all you know, is get murdered. Uh, he has a history of drugs in his past, and he wrote a song called Don't Look Down, now, right when I was contemplating all this stuff, I was, I was like, whoa, that's interesting. He's talking about the same thing I'm talking about. You're on a one-way street, you can't look down, because if you look down, it's game over. Like, that's how I've viewed it many, many times. So I'm going to read you something. This is interesting. Uh, this is some of his words, and I just want to share some context on how Don't Look Down can can be for someone else, and how it applies kind of to all of us, I think. That's the takeaway that I've learned about this. He says, I'm not afraid of success. I'm afraid of what happens if I take a rest. I'm afraid that I'll end up where I was before, in the hood with no money or food for the rent. I'm scared if I look at the water, I'll drown. So I look at the sky and deny there's a ground. I'm not scared of the altitude up in the clouds. I'm scared of the fall, so I don't look down. I'm scared if i look at the water i'll drown so i look at the sky and deny there's a ground i'm not scared of the altitude up in the clouds i'm scared of the fall so i don't look down i was thinking about this um, what's the takeaway in all this there's so many of them right i mean i could talk for a while i wanted to talk a lot about gratitude i wanted to talk about how i'm so thankful for what he did that has created fuel i feel like i'm standing on these huge fuel canisters That just propel me to want to do so much just do things for him just because i love him and i'm thankful and i could talk about the gratitude that manifested from this but i didn't want to go down that rabbit trail because what i felt like the lord pushed me toward thinking about was just that his i was thinking about the yoke and i was thinking about actually back going back to mission wolf we used to feed we had 36 animals and we had to feed them over a large area of land in the cold winter and you have to bring the, wa- the water, you know, buckets of water up to, you know, hike way up these hills with buckets of water. And i noticed that huge difference if you, it's like really hard to do with one bucket. It's way easier with two because the two balance each other. And it made me realize it's like a yoke, right? It's the same idea as a yoke, right? Like oxen would have a yoke, they would plow the fields. But the yoke distributes the weight evenly, so you can do great things with that yoke. And I was thinking about how Jesus said, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I was thinking about how um, a, 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 an easy burden, an, an easy yoke, an easy yoke is a balanced yoke. It's a balanced yoke. It's like that yoke I would create with the water bo- with the water buckets, right? But I was thinking about how for Jesus, it wasn't. It, for a while, there was a moment in time where it was so not easy for that for that to happen. He had to do something to make that happen. Where our burden was light. And when he was pulling that cross, that was like a yoke. That was an unbalanced yoke sitting on one shoulder. And it was so hard for him to carry. He couldn't physically even do it all by himself at times, it seemed. And I was thinking, he did all that. When he was doing that, he was carrying the yoke that we should be carrying. He did that for us already. And I was thinking about all the the stuff, that yoke, all that stuff, when we look down, we fall into it. And we do it to ourselves. And we and we hurt ourselves that way, and it's like I think um, the fact that the life I lived, what I what I have to offer, I think for our world, is I think we're moving further away from that safe road that we've always had. We go to college, you save your money in your four hundred one k. I think we're moving further away from that, and I don't mean that in a negative doom and gloom way, because I think if we if we choose to rethink, repent, re- reprocess, rethink the things that God's going to do, I think we're going to see miracles. I think we're going to see things that, are, in the end, are going to be so much more treasured than what we had before. And so I think that's what he's saying. It's like, it's like I'm thinking to myself, there's a voice that could say, well, what are you? how are you qualified to get up and talk to these people? That's a perfect example of not looking down. Like, I didn't swallow that. I didn't swallow that. I chewed it, and I didn't swallow it. If I'd looked down, I wouldn't be here right now, because I would have followed fear, and I would have fallen in the soup. And that's the soup that Jesus already destroyed that. He already did all that. I don't need to go down there. So so, um, so anyway, I think, I, think, I think the point is is I think he, he's going to start doing stuff where people more and more are going to have to do what I did. And I don't mean to live on a razor's edge and not know how they're going to pay their mortgage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's going to be a greater importance in following him And I remember while I really, and this is so good for me to do this today because, and I'll wrap this up, we've got about five more minutes. Um, This is so good to do this today for me personally because I kept digging in on this, thinking about it. I remember one night I had this dream where I was blindfolded and I was being led, but the point of the dream was now don't look forward. And And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to say that maybe before I should because I haven't fully processed what I feel like that was. But in some ways, for me, I think, I, I think it's kind of like, don't get caught up in what you think might happen, all the noise up there either. And just get used to following me, and just follow me, and don't look down, and follow me, and follow me. And I guess I'm here to say that it works. I know it works. I guarantee you it works, that he always comes through. It may not look the way you want it to look. It may not feel or taste the way you want it to be. But he, he always has come through when it comes to big things. And sometimes it looks totally different, and it's so frustrating, and there's been so many tears and, and just tough times. and so hard for my wife, especially, you know? But the miracle of it is we never, I mean, honestly, and there'd be nothing wrong if we had lots of fights. We just never did. We had so much grace in that area. We just never did. We didn't have one big fight this whole time. How is that possible? Seriously. I mean, with all the money problems, how is it possible? And what she's turned, oh, my gosh. I mean, the things I've seen her do and the way she trusts me, it's miraculous the way she trusts me. How hard is that for her? I think about that all the time. Like, she has to just trust me. She doesn't know the details. Like, I hope this works out. Like, is he nuts? Like, for all she knows, I could be nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Okay>. But. <laughs> She's working <sporky> right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there, was, there were a couple examples I was going to give. Uh, but I just don't have the time. And I, I don't. Um, some other ones I was going to give just about things where the Lord um, spoke to me. And, and, and it created pearls in my pocket. And it was miraculous. I'll give you one, and then I'm going to end with um, a scripture that it, I'm going to end with a scripture that if I could give my kids one scripture, this would be the scripture. And I think this this applies to my boys, Clark and Luke, but I think it applies to everyone in this room. And I feel like God pointed this scripture out to me because it was in my notes from a years ago when I was going to speak on something like this and didn't remember. And it popped up in my feed randomly three days ago, and I saw it and I was like, "Whoa." I'm like, that's exactly right. And then it was in my notes. I was like, whoa, you know. So anyway, yeah. lots of whoa moments. Um, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go a little off track because it's not about the storyline here, but it is about a pearl in my pocket. And It's about one of my first miracles that I had. Um, I was gonna give a few of these, but I'm gonna just give one of them. So there was this point in time where I went every morning at like 5:30 and went to the lake and just prayed and dig into God. And I just did, and it was some of the best years of my life in memory of God spiritually. But the next 10 years after that was like the toughest 10 years I've ever had. So I can't go back to that lake anymore and do it. I just can't, and it's bittersweet because my memories were so great of that moment, but it was so awful after. And I, at the time, I was so frustrated, and there's been a time, honestly, there was a time, even with this church and all the stuff we were going through with having the pastor leaving and all this, you know, we have all this crazy disruption and people leaving and not understand, not, you know what I mean? Seeing it closer, you know, being an elder and everything, Getting so frustrated, a um, couple times I was just like, first of all, I feel like every time I pray, exactly the opposite happens. And it sounds awful. It's, it's the truth. And I, what I love is that we can approach the throne of grace freely with the Lord, and he wants me to say that stuff to him. I love that about God, and I love that about grace. So why is it whenever I pray, the opposite happens? It feels like Lord, and you know, should I just stop praying? And why um, do we even bother going to church? And For about three months, that mulled around in my mind. And I was, I talk about not swallowing it. I was the closest I got to swallowing it. I didn't. I didn't swallow it. That's the salient point. I didn't look down. But one day, all of a sudden, it hits me. And, And this may not sound that profound to you. It didn't to me at first, but I had time to process it, and it became more profound because it's so simple, because I think sometimes he's so simple in his response. He said to me, the reason you go to church is because it's what you do, and the reason, it's, the reason you pray the reason you go to church is because oh, it's, and the reason you pray is because who you are, it's because that's who you are. You go to church because it's what you do, and you pray because that's who you are. It's like when I talk about not praying or not going to church, I'm kind of de- denying who I really am anyway with him. So what's the point? Why? Why even talk about it? Really? I mean, it's good. Bring it up, sure, but it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It's kind of irrelevant to be like, why am I going to church? When you think about it that way, it took me some while a while to process it and come to that conclusion. So, in saying that to you, it might be sound confusing, you know. Um, but that was one of the takeaways um, of not looking down. And um, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, basically. Um, so, so I'll just t- to tell this brief little story. We got three minutes. Um, so it's 5 in the morning, and uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's someone in my life that I really loved and cared about that I hadn't even thought about in months, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this person, and I swear to you, my hair is like, feels like it's sticking up on my arms. I am concerned deeply about this person for no reason, out of nowhere, and I see this in my mind, and I, I drew it in my journal. It was like an hourglass um, with the sand coming down and this stick figure trying to go up the sand, up against the grain, and I was so compelled that this was the Lord speaking to me, that I called this person who's on the West Coast, which is two in the morning on Tuesday or whatever day. It wasn't, like, who does that? Like, why would you do that? Someone who has pearls in their pocket, who has seen miracles happen enough times that he's gonna take a, take, go on a whim, he's not gonna look down, he's gonna make the phone call. So I made the phone call and the person answered. The person answered it like two in the morning, the person was on their knees crying, contemplating life, contemplating mm-hmm. whether or not they should kill themselves. And I was like, and it it just, it blew me away, and I was just like, and that was just a pearl in my pocket. And it was like, see, now he's using me as a believer to do that. And if I can do that in my life, that's all I really care about. So when I talk about the series is gone and all that, I look at those moments, I look at the treasure, I look at what he did with the series, regardless of the fact that it's gone, and I think, that's so much better. It's all I really care about, and I'm not just saying that to sound like it sounds like the right thing to say. I'm really not. I really believe it. So um, I leave this. Uh, this is the last thing I'll say. Um, just talking about his burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And uh, so this is the scripture I would read. This is the scripture for my kids, and this is, I think, for, for all of us. I really do. This is, the Lord spoke this very clearly to me. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. He's going to be there in bigger ways. I believe he's going to show up in huge ways, ways we never thought about. And I guess in the end, I'll just say that I I know he comes through. I know he'll show up, and uh, his burden is light.